Okay, Ephesians chapter number 5, Ephesians chapter number 5, and we're going to walk through a text of Scripture here and hopefully be a help. And I want to just uh, ask a couple of questions before we begin the message. And I know for many of you freshmen, I remember my freshman year at Bob Jones University where I uh, went 19, the fall of 1978. Does that seem like a long time ago? That doesn't seem very long ago to me. But anyway, and I remember in the fall of 1978 there as a student getting ready for Christmas. Man, I counted the days. It's like getting me home. I can't believe it. And I, ex I enjoyed my first semester, but there was something a little bit about that homesickness getting me home. And I'm sure many of you freshmen excited about that. That, and probably some sophomores are too, and maybe in a few juniors and seniors, I don't know. But there's something about going home for Christmas. I always found that uh, far more alluring at the end of the um, school year, because uh, that was exciting too, but in a little different way. But, um, but I uh, really want to try to encourage you here in the next few moments concerning being proactive and preventative. Because some of you, your home has not been a place of victory. It's been a place of defeat. And I'm going to just ask if I can please the upperclassmen for just a moment to be painfully honest in an effort to kind of set the stage for this. But how many of you that are juniors and seniors, and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, not even just raise your hand, stand to your feet. But how many other juniors and seniors would admit that at least once in your first uh, couple of years of school, either a summer vacation or a Christmas vacation, you very visibly went backwards spiritually? It may not have been in any deep sin. It could have been. It could have been something extremely problematic that you had to deal with. It could have just been an attitude issue or your devotions fell off or your walk with God just got cold. I don't know. But how many juniors and seniors would admit by standing that in your first two years of college, at least one of those breaks, either a Christmas or summer, there was definitely a, uh, a time where you went backwards in your Christian life in a very visible, remarkable way. Would you stand to your feet? Would you do that, please? Just stand to your feet. Okay, thank you very much. You can put your you can put your hand down. You can put your seat down. I guess. Okay, uh, I guess that's the problem. When you guys get out preaching, you'll realize you start to say something that you don't normally say. You blow it. But anyway, uh, that'll work. Okay. But uh, uh, I think you know where I'm trying to go with that. I want you freshmen to understand that when you go home, there's going to be a real temptation for you to go back to it like you were before you came to college. Now, maybe that's not a bad thing, but for some of you, there may be certain bad elements to that. Uh, maybe at home you've had struggle with anger or frustration or irritation towards younger siblings and you've not had victory there. Maybe it's been a place where when it comes to uh, technology, there's not been victory there. And it may not be that you've been drawn to any lurid or uh, vile things, but you've just wasted time with technology. And it's not been a place of victory that way. Uh, I don't know what your issue is, but I will tell you that uh, anybody who will talk about victory will tell you that familiar uh, circumstances of defeat can often bring that. They'll often say guys that are struggling with coming off pornography, there can be things that are temptation like the click of a door because now no one's there. And there's a rise of, of dopamine or temptation at that particular moment or the whirl of a computer becomes a temptation. For many in this room, the click of a door does not, is not a temptation to you. The world of a computer is not a temptation to you. But some in this room identify with that. They're sometimes getting back to familiar uh, places of defeat and, or, or perhaps just um, situations where there's certain uh, things happening that would remind you of times in the past where you've been defeated or even certain times of the year. Maybe you've been victorious in the summertime, but Christmas has been your place of defeat because you let down. So my point is, let's be proactive about it. 
I'm not going to have you freshmen stand. I probably should, but I should ask how many freshmen. Uh, you know, home always hasn't been a place of real victory, been a place of defeat. But I would assume for many of you, it has not always been a place of victory. And there are certain pitfalls awaiting you. Now, one of the things I've always learned about vacations is you have a tendency to vacate. You know what I'm talking about? You just come home and veg. Okay, now don't get me wrong. You need to have some rest and bodily rest, but here's the problem. Sometimes we let down spiritually and we lose our vigilance and boy, we have an enemy, the devil, who's just waiting to devour us. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm going to try to give you some very uh, helpful things, just principles right through Ephesians chapter number five, that great filled with the Spirit passage, but we probably won't get to that verse just because of time. But we will try to get as far as we can. Now, in uh, chapter five, verse number two, the Apostle Paul says to walk in love. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, the word walk is used a lot. But uh, then he gets the converse of walking in love, which is walking in lust, which you find in verse number three. I'd like to start in verse number three. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Very interesting verse of scripture because the word uncleanness, notice it says all uncleanness. Now the word uncleanness is a very interesting word. In the Old Testament, it's largely ceremonial. Leprosy is unclean. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. The lepers had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Okay, so we understand a little bit of ceremonial uncleanness, but when you get into the Bible, out of the synoptic gospels, or out of the gospels into the epistles, uncleanness is no longer largely ceremonial, it's moral. This is talking about moral uncleanness. You say, what is that? It's all the junk that leads to fornication. It's everything in between. It's, it could be visual. It could be other aspects of temptation. So it's interesting to me, he starts with fornication. Many people say, well, I haven't done that. But then it goes to all uncleanness. All the garbage and junk that leads to moral failure. And there's a lot of junk in between. And all of you in this room are at least aware of it. And some of you are more aware of it because it's been a place of your past. Defeat to uncleanness. Now, you know we've been on a journey. There's a lot of things I could talk about when it comes to that particular journey. But that's not my point. Point right now is just to acknowledge the fact that for some in this room, that has been perhaps uh, a place of defeat in your life. Then it says covetousness. I believe in this particular context, covetousness is greed. It's, it's selfishness. It's greed for yourself, but largely in the moral arena here. Greed for filth or greed for lust. And, uh, of course, notice what it says, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. How many have a pet at home, a dog or a cat or something like that? Yeah, okay, there it is. Uh, how many have a cat? How many cat? Okay, there it is. Yeah, okay, cats. I'm so, I won't say much about cats, but anyway, how many love your cat? You love your cat. Okay, that cat is undeserving of your love. Okay, but anyway, there it is. Okay, cats are innate sleep. My dad used to say it, you can convert a dog, but a cat is hopelessly lost. Okay, but anyway, you can't convert them. I'm not sure what chapter and verse that comes from. But, um, but, uh, but anyway, um, uh, you know, you ever go out in the dog food or the cat food aisle and you pick it up and there's always this on that can or on that bag, not fit for, help me out now, not fit for, yeah. how many have ever eaten dog food? Okay, unbelievable. Man, brother, we got some problems, Brother Swanson, in this student body. Unbelievable eating dog food. I don't know. I've never eaten dog food. I've never eaten cat food. I'm telling you, the only rabbit food I've eaten is a carrot and some lettuce. But anyway, <laughs> but it's not fit for human consumption. You know what God says? There's certain things that aren't fit for saints' consumption. Did you know that? 
You know, any aspect of fornication, whether it's in the mind, obviously doing it, or watching it, it's not fit for saints' consumption. No student, a Baptist college minister who is a believer in Jesus Christ, ought to be looking at movies where there's implied or outright fornication. You ought not be a part of it. It's not fit for saints' consumption. And all uncleanness, which means all the junk and the garbage and the filth that leads up to it, God says it's not fit for saints' consumption. It's just not. And then the verse goes on and says, neither filthiness. Now, that's obviously talking about filthy talk. And then foolish talking, the talk of fools, jesting, literally means to turn well. It means taking something that's innocent and turning it so it's, it's inappropriate. It would be the innuendo, the dirty joke, the dirty humor. God says, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. No student of Baptist College of Ministry who is a believer in Jesus Christ ought to be watching a sitcom where there's dirty humor or there's in, uh, dirty innuendos. Not do it one time. God says, not once. Not once. Once let it be named among you as that which is fit for saints. It's just not fit for saints. And it ought to grieve you because the Holy Spirit inside of you ought to be grieved when you hear things that are inappropriate, foolish talking. I'll tell you, taking God's name in vain, that's obviously foolish talking. The talk of fools. Now, I preached on this at the beginning of the year. You probably remember at least going partially through these verses and, and uh, et cetera. Just repeated a little bit of that. But uh, the reason I brought that up, friends, is it's interesting to me that those verses are followed by some very interesting reasons why, as God's people, we ought not be involved in any of those kind of things. And I think, you know, obviously there's other things that aren't fit for saints' conception, the issue of anger and frustration and, and other issues that may be in your life and worry and, and uh, even a lack of consistency in spending time with God. It's not fit for saints. Saints are made to spend time with God. And we can make other things that are certainly applicable. But notice what it says here in verse number 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain, vain words, for because of these, um, these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now, I want you to understand what this verse of Scripture is saying. Lost people do these things. Did you know that lost people, that they, uh, that they are involved in, in moral failure? Did you know that? Do you know lost people are involved in uncleanness? Did you know that? Do you know lost people have a greed for, for filth and a greed for lust and a greed for selfish things? Do you know that lost people talk dirty? Did you know that? Did you know that lost people use dirty humor? Did you know that? See, the verse of Scripture is saying, don't you know? We know this. We know what lost people are like, and here's what God says. Don't be like lost people. <laughs> be not partakers with them. So his very first argument, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, is simply lost people do these, God's people ought not. Ought not to be a part of. Don't be partakers with them. Some of you in this room have been partakers with lost people involved in their evil deeds, and probably you have a lot of regret about that. Thank the Lord you put it under the blood and can move on. But then he moves to something else. I don't want to spend time there, but then he moves on to something else. He moves from the issue of lost people. This is what lost people do. God's people ought not do it. Then he moves to something that's very interesting. He moves to who we are in Christ. Look at verse number 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, I love this particular verse because it gives us in a certain sense, a hermeneutic, uh, how, to, uh, how to navigate positional truth. Okay, what he's saying is, before you got saved, you were darkness, but now you're light. 
live like it. So in other words, the basis, I think I've heard, you've heard me say this before, but I don't want you to miss this. The emphasis of the New Testament is not do and you'll be. The emphasis of the New Testament is because you are, do. God is telling you to walk as children of light. Why? Because that's who you are. You are children of light. You used to be darkness, but now you're light. You know what God's saying? Live like it. Now, hang on to the next verses because I've really looked at these things, and I will tell you they're stunning because they're going to give you some idea to be proactive and preventative. In reading a book recently called The Cure, some of you are familiar with it, it was a very interesting point in that book was this, confess your sins before you commit them. You know what I mean by that? Many years ago, Evangelist was preaching here, and he talked about the fact that he was got all of a sudden a great temptation toward lust, and he was in his RV all alone, and he had several accountability partners that are other evangelists across the country. He immediately got on his phone, and he began to text the fact, hey, I'm tempted with lustful thoughts. And he sent that out to a bunch of friends. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think he had victory or defeat? And you know why? Because he confessed his sins before he committed them. <laughs> now, I'm overstating it. He wasn't confessing them. He was just confessing the temptation. You know what he was doing? He was putting, he was walking as a children of light. You know what some of you need to do before you leave here? You need to get some really strong Christians who accountability partners and say, listen, when I go home, I struggle with this, I struggle with this, and I struggle with this. Now I'm going to ask a question I am going to ask you to raise your hands to. How many of you admit at home that you have struggled being consistent with your time with the Lord? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody that raised your hand, when you go home, you're going to struggle. So how are you going to be proactive? Confess your sin before you commit it. Are you tracking with me? Get some people say, would you check with me for the first few weeks here? Would you just check or listen, I'll text you every day about am I having devotions because I know that's my temptation and I don't want to go there. In other words, you're confessing the temptation so you don't commit the sin. In other words, you want help. That's children of light. Do you know what we are, how do I say this? We have become so used to acting like something we're not that that's one of the reasons we're defeated. Because we don't want people to know about our junk. And so we put a mask on, and the problem is the junk gets worse. So notice what this verse, these verses of Scripture say, because they're really interesting here. Let's go down. I'm going to just go to verse number 11. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I like what one commentator said. The word reprove there, and of course it's a word that's used often in the New Testament. It's the idea of expose. In fact, the first part of the verse is the present tense with the negative. What is one of the ways you can view the present tense with the negative, all you Greek scholars out here? And that is, it's ordering the cessation of action. So you know what he's saying to the Ephesian believers? Stop having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's, infirm, it's inferring that they already were involved in the works of darkness. And he's giving an apologetic here for getting this stuff out of their life. And, and we've already walked through several things that he's already talked about, but now he's getting down to business and saying, stop having fellowship with the works of darkness, but rather, and here's the word, expose them. See, one of the things that light does is it dispels darkness. You've heard me say it on multiple occasions because I've got a message on the power of light. Where there is light, darkness is powerless. 
And some of you need to put light on what you perceive to be that darkness that's going is awaiting you when you get home. Put light on it before you get there. And some of you know there's temptation awaiting you at home. And if you're already planning to go there, you're in trouble. Because what you ought to be is concerned like, I want to go home and have victory. I don't want it to be a place of defeat. I know the places or the times or the situations or the scenarios or the friends or that I struggle with. And before you ever get there, you know what you need to do? Expose it. Listen, there's plenty of, plenty of faculty staff members. There's plenty of students in here that I believe would have enough spiritual maturity that you could go to and say, would you check to me with me about this, this, and this? And I would have it more than one. I'd have it several. See, God's saying you've got to stop linking up with the works of darkness, but expose them. And then it gives some principles here that, is, that are absolutely phenomenal. It says it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, I believe I presented some of this at different times, but I just wanted to kind of rehash through it because I wanted you to get this. That verse of Scripture many times has been taken, and I have taken it for years to mean that, listen, we got to be careful we don't talk about things done in secret. Now, don't get me wrong. When I was growing up, I heard some preaching that I think was far too graphic and far too specific, and it was not helpful. All my, I was very protected, very naive as a young man growing up. My greatest thought problems came from preachers. Now, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Because yeah. they weren't careful. So I'm all for being careful. But I'm not sure that's exactly what the verse is saying. It's a shame to speak of those things which are done in secret. Because obviously the Bible does deal with things that are done in secret, appropriately. But it does deal with it. David, did he have some sins that were done in secret? Sure, there's things done in secret that are dealt with appropriately in the Bible. So what's the Bible talking about? It's talking about this. When you finally, at the right time to the right people, come clean about the things you've done in secret, there will be shame. I could ask young men to stand. I won't do it. Probably should because they really wouldn't care if they did it right. To stand it. How many of you have ever had to go to Pastor Swanson's office or maybe go to somebody else, mom or a dad, and say, mom or dad, when you, I hate to tell you this, but I, here's what I've been doing on the computer. Or here's what happened when I went over to that friend's house. Or here's what happened in this relationship. And you've had to tell things about things you've done in secret. And anybody who's ever done that would tell you it was one of the hardest things you've ever done. Correct? Why? Because it was shame. But what God is telling us here, that's how you deal with darkness. You put light on it. Now, i got a question for you. Would you rather put light on it before you fall so you don't fall, or would you rather put light on it after you fall? Now, I don't know about you. I hope you're getting the idea. Some of you need to recognize you have temptation going home, and I will tell you, it would be absolutely thrilling to me to come back in January and recognize that we had a student body that maybe fought battles but largely was victorious through Christmas vacation. That would be thrilling. And do you know what? You can set yourself up for victory with understanding one simple truth, and that is light. Light. The real cast group, Brother Mueller told me, and he could tell you more about this, that's been filming Renew, um, was absolutely blown away when my son-in-law, Ryan, talked about the 24-hour accountability. And they got absolutely pumped about it. Now, you know what that 24-hour, and you know why they were excited about it? They may not have understood in the terms I'm framing it up here in the book of Ephesians. Do you know why they were excited about it? Because they saw the power of light. 
Light is powerful. Do you know what happens when guys are 24 hour, every 24 hours accountable about their moral life? Do you know what happens? Every 24 hours, they're shedding life on their moral life, light on their moral life. And the guys that are dead serious about it, I want to tell you, it's stunning the, the help that it is. It's not everything, but it's a part of the package of getting victory over secret sin. You know, the pack, you know how to get victory over secret sin? Make it so it's not secret. Secrecy is greatest, Satan's greatest weapon to keep you in defeat. Can I say this? Let's just say, well, preacher, I don't have moral issues. <laughs> but you're not consistent with your devotions? Can I say this? Are you guys training for the ministry? Are you changing, tra training to work at Walmart? Some of you are training to work at Walmart. Hey, listen, five minutes a day might be able to work if you're doing it just going down there to Walmart. I don't think it works for any Christian. Some of you got to wake up and smell the coffee. If you're not consistent with your devotions, what are you going to do when you get in the ministry? Well, you say, preacher, I won't be as busy as I am there. And you don't understand the ministry. So the point is, some of you got to wake up, smell the coffee. If you don't know how to spend time with God every day, you're in trouble before you ever started. Amen. You know what you need to do? Put light on it. Tell a bunch of people, you know what? I struggle with consistency and saying devotions. Check up on me, man. I gotta Listen, there's nobody in this room who ought to struggle with consistency the next three weeks. Nobody. You know why? Because you're going to have time. Any way you cut it, you'll have time. And you have no excuse. And yet some of you have been so inconsistent at home, and maybe not as consistent here as you should be, but the point is, going home is not going to solve your problem. It's going to exacerbate it unless you prepare for victory. And one of the things that will help you with the victory is light. Light. Yeah, light. Expose it. And so some of you need to get a game plan, like in the next couple of days. I can tell you, Pastor Swanson and any faculty staff member who's in here, we do everything we could to help you. Because we want you to go home and have victory. And some of you, listen, you, you've got a plan right now. It's like this. We're going to see this in a moment. You've got to be purposeful about this matter or you'll find yourself getting blindsided with the issue. Now, let's continue on because I want you to see this. So it's not easy to be honest, but what it says in verse 13, but all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. In other words, everything that you expose is made manifest by the light. It's the idea there. Then whatsoever is made manifest is light. That's actually the, the passive in voice. And what it's saying is that which you expose becomes light. Now that's the amazing thing about it. Do you know what happens in a testimony? I see this every week. Somebody gives a testimony about some sin in their life and the sin becomes a search life Instead of being something that's bad, it now becomes a light that convicts everybody who's involved in it. Man, right in the middle of the tour, we had a situation. We had a Christian school. I won't go into it all. I was telling the team, of the, uh, the uh, class about it here earlier. And I'm telling you, it was a campfire service. We had been in a battle all week long. God broke through in that campfire service, but a big old boy got up. And began to talk about his bitterness, and he began to talk about the home he was from. And I mean, it was dysfunctional, and there were issues. Uh, big old boy, six foot three, probably 230 pounds. And uh, the kid sobbed his way through the testimony, talked about the bitterness, and that he had just forgiven, just moments before, had forgiven his parents, and you could see the supernatural move of God in his life. And do you know what happened as a result of his testimony? The hardest kid in the school got right with God, who was just as bitter. 
So when he exposed his sin and got honest about it and giving a testimony in victory, that very defeat now became a searchlight to search in the hearts of others who were struggling just like he had been. Are you seeing it? You have to understand, friends, that some of those powerful things you have is your testimony. Now, it has to be appropriate. It has to be the right time. Radio audience, I understand all that. But here's what God says. When you start shining light on your sin and you start saying, okay, God's delivered me from this, it ends up being something that becomes positive. Becomes a very light itself. One of the hardest things probably for us to do is to let people know that we're not perfect. (laughs) But there's power in it because people can identify with, you know, I'm struggling with that. He's got victory. and He's telling me how he got victory. I want victory. See, it becomes powerful. I will tell you, friends, there's there's the power of the testimony. God's got to be in it. I get that. But I'm talking about getting honest with the appropriate people. God knows who that is. But it's a really remarkable thing. Now, I want to show you something else here. Then, of course, verse 14. I was going to preach on verse 14, but I realized I had to go back because it has context here. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. That really puzzled me. Awake and rise are commands. So how do you command somebody sleeping to wake up? And how do you command somebody dead to rise again? Yeah, maybe some of you need to go down to the funeral home and start commanding corpses to get up. Yeah, what's that saying? All I can do is take it in context. It seems impossible, doesn't it? I mean, it's a little easier to command somebody to wake up, but you know what? I mean, I'm talking, how many of you are deep sleepers? You know what I'm talking about? Deep sleepers. Yeah, sometimes people get, some of you have no idea what deep sleep is. I feel sorry for you. I mean, uh, somebody drops a comb and you wake up. But anyway, you know, I feel sorry for you. But uh, my point is, these seem like impossible commands, but I believe what, the, what God is saying here is, he's telling us exactly what he's saying. He's, these are pictures of revival. He's saying, listen, when you start shining light, you expose your sin, you're going to experience more light. You're going to experience revival when you get honest with God and you stop hiding your sin and you stop acting like you're something you're not and you put light and you deal with it. Let me just say this. If you got hidden sin in your life, don't go home with that hidden sin because you're setting yourself up for big falls. Get it cleared out now. Go home with a clear conscience. Get the thing taken care of. Even if it's with your mom and dad, give them a call before you ever get home. Say, hey, when we get home, we got to talk about this. I want to be completely clear. Now, I just want to see a couple other things here before we close, and we'll be done. Look at verse number 17. Well, we'll just look 15, 16, 17. We'll be we'll going to put this together. See then that thou walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, circumspect walk, I think most of you understand what that is. I've been over to Kenya, and I've seen these walls of uh, walling a house. The richer people have houses you know, with walls around them, and they have on top of those glass embedded in the cement to deter robbers from coming over. And sometimes you'll look up there and there's a cat. Yeah, we talk about cats again. And there's a cat, and that cat is walking circumspectly. You know, I have never heard a loud meow from a cat walking on a wall with embedded glass and look up and see a bloody paw. Never one time. You know why? Because they walk circumspectly. They put their paw down in a place that is safe. 
God is simply saying, it'd be like this. Have you ever heard of countries like Vietnam and different countries where there was a war and there are literally landmines embedded in different places? Do you know what people do over there? They walk circumspectly. That's what they do. Why? Because you step in the wrong spot. You know, I didn't need that leg anyway. You know what I'm talking about? It's not going to be a good deal. No, it's not going to be good. Now, I want to tell you, at home, you've got landmines. You know what God's saying? You better be careful. Walk circumspectly. Don't be a fool about this. Understand, I know where, I know where the landmines are. I'm not going there. Get proactive before you ever get there. Get with other people and say, hey, check with me about this landmine. I don't want to do this. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question. I'm not trying to be unkind, but I'm trying. How many have ever just been scrolling through the Internet and you were um, not going for anything wrong, but um, maybe it was news, maybe it was, I don't know, whatever else, you sports, whatever, and you're just going through things and not necessarily the wrong things, but you ended up spending more time than you should have. Oh. Yeah. You're going to be proactive about that? You're going to get some friends to help you? You can, listen, over those next three weeks, you could waste hours with things that you, that aren't, you wouldn't even remember three weeks from now anyway. They should be worthless. How easy it is to waste time. You know one of the things, nice things I loved about college? I couldn't waste time. I loved it. You know what I love about BCM? You can't waste time. And if you do, you pay for it. <laughs> Hopefully you're learning not to waste time. But you know what's going to happen the next three weeks? You can waste time. But it won't be good for you. God's saying, look for your landmines. Don't go there. Don't be a fool about this. Redeem the time. The days are evil. The word re redeem only has the idea buy back. Of course, most of you know time has opportunities. In other words, God is going to say this. Take every opportunity in the next three weeks that God gives you. I will tell you this. It's going to shock you. Every one of you, every day, next, the next three weeks is going to have an opportunity. And you know what the opportunity is? To meet with God. God says, grab it. You're going to have certain ministry opportunities. You're going to have opportunities, uh, this uh, perhaps on the way home, to give the gospel. Here's what God says, grab them. Get a hold of the opportunity. Listen, be circumstantial. Avoid the landmines. And in other words, don't waste time. Use your time for eternity is what God is saying. Now, the last verse kind of puts it home here, and this is where our, we'll wrap it up. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know that word unwise? When I did a little study on it, it has the idea of acting rashly or not being purposeful. You know what we all just admitted to? That sometimes we go to the Internet and we're not purposeful. Let me encourage you to do something. Never go to the Internet without purpose. Because you can waste a lot of time. Okay, be purposeful. That's what God is saying here. Don't act rashly. Now, if you want an illustration of acting rashly, go down to the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Junior hires are notorious for acting without thinking. In fact, a lot of high schoolers are notorious for uh, acting without... In fact, you know, a lot of college students are notorious for acting without thinking, you one day will be a parent and one day you're going to say, son, what were you thinking? And you know what your son's going to say? I don't know. <laughs> like, I wasn't thinking. Like, son, we were just building an addition. We had nails all over the driveway. Why did you move the car? 
what were you thinking? And he's going to say, I don't know. But you know, we can do that spiritually, can't we? You just wasted an hour. What were you thinking? And the point was, I wasn't. God is saying, don't do that. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know what that word will is? I don't know, all you grammarians out there, Greek grammarians are going to love this because it's really something to give you thought. It doesn't have an article. It's not understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what will of God is. And the will of God is this. He always has purpose in your life. He has something for you to do. He has a will for you. And the point is, don't act rashly. Find out whatever God's will is. Do will of God stuff. Does that make sense? That's the new translation. Okay, yeah. Do will of God stuff. Okay, I'm trying to get you to think out. The, 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 uh, the idea there is obviously looking at the will of God from its essence, its quality, not the particular will of God, but the whole idea that every moment of every day, shouldn't it be in the will of God? Do will of God stuff. There's a lot of things that would be the will of God, and there's a lot of things that would not be purposeful that could get you into trouble. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many have been innocently browsing through the Internet and you saw something that caused you to sin? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would say every guy in this room would probably raise their hand. And you know what your problem was? You weren't purposeful. So you know what the point of this message is? Is you've got to prepare. You've got to be purposeful. You've got to be proactive. Because some of you are going home to a bigger battle than you even realize. Because I will say this, what happens at college is you actually grow more than you realize you're growing. See, one of the things, you know, you're with each other, you're with yourself, you don't see it, but somebody who hasn't sitting around you for three months is going to realize, wow, you've grown a lot. But you know, you can lose that pretty fast because the growth, my friend, is not so much you growing, it's Jesus growing in you. And boy, you start grieving him and you lose it pretty fast, don't you? So, kind of an interesting invitation here. But I'm, uh, I'm just going to, not going to ask, I'll just ask pianists to come to the piano. I'm not going to have heads bowed. There's a pianist that could come to the piano. And I'm going to tell you, if there's an area of your life, now I'm not just talking, don't be, you, some of you are sensitive and some of you are too sensitive. I hate to preach a message like this because all the oversensitive people get oversensitive. Okay, don't be oversensitive. This is, you allow the Lord to work in your heart. But I'm going to tell you, for some of you, you're, you're not, you're, you're the opposite of the oversensitive guys. You're the people who don't have much sensitivity at all. You're the ones that kind of live the Christian life with calluses on your spiritual hands. Nothing seems to bug you. So some of the, maybe some of you are in that point. So I don't want you to overdo it, but I will tell you this. If there's an area of your life where you know what? I have to admit, home equals defeat. Home equals defeat in devotions. Home equals defeat in internet use. I'm not talking about it being wrong. It could be. Home equals defeat in media consumption. Movies, television, YouTube. Home equals defeat. Anger, relationship deterioration, disrespect to parents. Homo equals defeat and treating my younger brothers and sisters like trash. And you realize, you know what? I got to get proactive about this. And you say, preacher, I intend to. I'm going to ask God what he wants me to do. And I would encourage you, get with people you need to get with. Shed light on the thing. Expose it. And can I say this? Confess the temptation before it happens so you'll have victory and not defeat and not have to confess it afterwards. So if that's you and you know who you are, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, 
come down here and put a stake in the ground and, and start asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Prepare for that temptation that I know is coming. So as the piano plays, you come.